Section 10, Chapter 5, Part 2 of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter 5, Part 2. Give the father a seat, said Don Rodrigo. A servant presented the chair and father cristoforo sat down making some excuse to the signor for coming at so inopportune an hour i wish to speak with you alone on a matter of importance added the friar in a lower voice in don rodrigo's ear very well i will attend you replied he but in the meanwhile bring the father something to drink the father tried to excuse himself, but Don Rodrigo, raising his voice above the recommencing tumult, required, No, no, you shall not do me this wrong. It shall never be said that a capuchin left this house without tasting my wine, nor an insolent creditor the wood of my forests. These words were followed by a general laugh, and for a moment, interrupted the question that was being warmly agitated among the guests a servant then brought in a bottle of wine on a tray and a tall glass in the shape of a chalice and presented them to the father who unwilling to refuse the pressing invitation of one he so much wished to propitiate did not hesitate to pour some out and began slowly to sip the wine the authority of tasso will not serve your purpose respected signor podesta it even militates against you resumed count attilio in a thundering voice for that learned that great man who perfectly understood all the rules of chivalry has made the messenger of arganti ask leave of the pious buglioni before delivering the challenge to the christian knights but this, replied the Podesta, vociferating no less vehemently, this is a liberty, a mere liberty, a poetical ornament, since an ambassador is, in his nature, inviolable by the law of nations, jure gentium. But without seeking so far, the proverb says, ambasciator non porta pena, and proverbs, you know, contain the wisdom of the human race, besides the messenger having uttered nothing in his own name but only presented the challenge in writing but when will you understand that this messenger was an inconsiderate ass who didn't know the first with your leave gentlemen interrupted don rodrigo who was afraid of the question being carried too far we will refer it to father cristoforo and abide by his sentence well very well said count attilio highly pleased at the idea of referring a question of chivalry to a capuchin while the more eager podesta with difficulty restrained his excited feelings and a shrug of contempt which seemed to say absurdity but from what i have heard said the father these are matters i know nothing of as usual the modest excuses of the fathers said don rodrigo but you shall not get off so easily come now we know well enough you did not come into the world with a cowl on your head 
and that you are no stranger to its ways. See here, this is the question. The case is this, began Count Attilio. Let me tell it who am neutral, cousin, replied Don Rodrigo. This is the story. A Spanish cavalier sent a challenge to a Milanese cavalier. The bearer, not finding him at home, delivered the summons to his brother, who after reading it gave the bearer in reply a good thrashing. The dispute is, one good turn deserves another, cried Count Attilio. It was really inspiration. Of the devil, added the Podesta, to beat an ambassador, a man whose person is sacred. Even you, father, will say whether this was a knightly deed. Yes, signor, knightly, cried the Count, and you will allow me to say so who ought to understand what relates to a cavalier. Oh, if they had been blows, it would be another matter, but a cudgel defiles nobody's hands. What puzzles me is, why you think so much of the shoulders of a mean scoundrel? Who said anything about his shoulders, Signor Count? You would make out I had talked nonsense such as never entered my mind. I spoke of his office, not of his shoulders, and am now considering the laws of chivalry. Be do good as to tell me whether the heralds that the ancient Romans sent to bid defiance to other nations asked leave to announce their message, and find me one writer who mentions that a herald was ever beaten. What have the officers of the ancient Romans to do with us? A simple nation, and in these things far, far behind us. But according to the laws of modern chivalry, which are the only right ones, I affirm and maintain that a messenger who dared to place a challenge in the hand of a knight without having asked his permission is an incautious fool who may be beaten and who richly deserves it. Answer me this syllogism. No, no, nothing. But listen, listen. To strike an unarmed person is a treacherous act. At qui the messenger de quo was without arms, ergo. Gently, gently, signor Podesta. Why gently? Gently, I say. What are you talking about? It is an act of treachery to give a man a blow with a sword behind him, or to shoot him in the back. And to this even there are certain exceptions. But we will keep to the point. I allow that this may generally be called an act of treachery, but to bestow four blows on a paltry fellow like him. It would have been a likely thing to say, take care I don't beat you, as one says to a gentleman, draw your sword, and you, respected Signor Doctor, instead of smiling at me there and giving me to understand you are of my opinion, why don't you support my position with your capital powers of argument and help me drive some reason into the head of this Signor? I replied the doctor in confusion. I enjoy this learned dispute, and am glad of the accident that has given occasion to so agreeable a war of genius. But it does not belong to me to give sentence. His illustrious lordship has already delegated a judge, the father here. 
true said don rodrigo but how is the judge to speak when the disputants will not be silent i am dumb said count attilio the podesta made a sign that he would not speak ah at last what do you say father asked don rodrigo with half jesting gravity i have already excused myself by saying i don't understand the matter replied friar cristoforo returning the wine-glass to a servant poor excuses cried the two cousins we must have your sentence since you wish it my humble opinion is that there should be neither challenges bearers nor blows the guests interchanged looks of unfeigned astonishment oh this is too bad claimed count attilio pardon me father but this is too bad it is easy to see you know nothing of the world he said don rodrigo ha ha he knows it cousin as well as you do isn't it true father instead of replying to this courteous interrogation the father said to himself this is aimed at you but remember friar that you are not here for yourself and that which affects you only is not to be taken into the account it may be said the cousin but the father what is his name father cristoforo replied more than one but father cristoforo most reverend father with your principles you would turn the world upside down without challenges without blows farewell to the point of honour impunity for all villains fortunately however the supposition is impossible up doctor up broke in don rodrigo who always tried to divert the argument from the original disputants you are the man to argue on any matter let us see what you will do in discussing this question with father cristoforo really replied the doctor brandishing his fork in the air and turning to the father really i cannot understand how father cristoforo who is at once the perfect devotee and a man of the world should not remember that his sentence good excellent and of just weight as it is in the pulpit is of no value with due respect be it spoken in a question of chivalry but the father knows better than i that everything is good in its place and i think that this time he has only endeavoured the escape by a jest from the difficulty of giving sentence what can one reply to reasonings deduced from a wisdom so ancient yet so new nothing and so thought our friar but don rodrigo wishing to cut short this dispute proceeded to suggest another apropos said he i hear there are rumours of an accommodation at milan the reader must know that at this time there was a contest for the succession to the duchy of mantua which on the death of vicenzo gonzaga who left no male issue had fallen into the possession of the duke of nevers gonzaga's nearest relation louis the thirteenth or rather cardinal richelieu 
wished to support him on account of his being well disposed toward the French, Philip the Fourth, or rather the Count d'Olivares, commonly called the Count Duke, opposed him for the same reason, and had declared war against him. As the duchy was a fief of the empire, the two parties made interest by intrigue, threats, and solicitations at the court of the Emperor Ferdinand II, the former urging him to grant the investiture to the new duke, the latter to refuse it, and even assist in banishing him from the state. I am inclined to think, said Count Attilio, that matters may be adjusted. I have certain reasons. Don't believe it, Signor Count. Don't believe it, interrupted the Podesta. Even in this corner of the world I have means of ascertaining the state of things, for the Spanish governor of the castle, who condescends to make me his friend, and who being the son of one of the Count Duke's dependents, is informed of everything. I tell you, I have opportunity every day at Milan of talking with great men, and I know on good authority that the Pope is highly interested in the restoration of peace, and has made propositions. So it ought to be. The thing is according to rule, and His Holiness does his duty. A Pope ought always to mediate between Christian princes, but the Count Duke has his own policy, and, 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 do you know, my good signor, what the Emperor thinks of it at this moment? Do you think there is no other place in the world besides Mantua? There are many things to be looked at, my good signor. Do you know, for example, how far the Emperor can, at this moment, confide in that Prince Valdistano, or Valestai, or whatever they call him, and whether his right name is German, again interrupted the Podesta, is Valiensteno, as I have often heard it pronounced by our Spanish signor, the governor of the castle, but be of good courage, for— Will you teach me? exclaimed the Count angrily, but Don Rodrigo motioned to him with his knee for his sake to cease contradiction. He therefore remained silent, and the Podesta, like a vessel disengaged from a sandbank, continued with widespread sails the course of his eloquence. Valiensteno gives me little concern, because the Count Duke has his eyes on everything and in every place, and if Valiensteno chooses to play any tricks, he will set him right with fair words or foul. He has his eye everywhere, I say, and long arms, and if he has resolved, as he justly has, like a good politician, that the Signor Duke of Nevers shall not take root in Mantua, the Signor Duke of Nevers will not take root there, and the Cardinal Richelieu will sink in the water. It makes me smile to see this worthy Signor Cardinal contending with a Count Duke, with an Olivares. I should like to rise again after a lapse of two hundred years to hear what posterity will say of these fine pretensions. It requires something more than envy. There must be a head, and of heads like that of a Count Duke there is but one in the world. The Count Duke, my good signors, continued the Podesta, sailing before the wind, 
and a little surprised at not encountering one shoal, the Count Duke is an aged fox, speaking with all respect, who can make anybody lose his track. When he aims at the right, we may be sure he will take the left, so that no one can boast of knowing his intentions, and even they who execute them, and they who write his dispatches, understand nothing of them. I can speak with some knowledge of the circumstances, for that worthy man, the governor of the castle, deigns to place some confidence in me. The Count Duke, on the other hand, knows exactly what is going forward in all the other courts, and their great politicians, many of whom it cannot be denied are very upright men, have scarcely imagined a design before the Count Duke has discovered it, with that clever head of his, his underhand ways, and his nets everywhere spread. That poor man, the Cardinal Richelieu, makes an attempt here, busies himself there, he toils, he strives. And what for? When he has succeeded in digging a mine, he finds a countermine already completed by the Count Duke. No one knows when the Podesta would have come ashore, had not Don Rodrigo, urged by the suggestions of his cousin, ordered a servant to bring him a certain bottle of wine. Signor Podesta, said he, and gentlemen, a toast to the Count Duke, and you will then tell me whether the wine is worthy of the person. The Podesta replied by a bow in which might be discerned an expression of particular acknowledgment. For all that was said or done in honour of the Duke, he received in part as done to himself. Long live Don Gasparo Guzman, Count of Olivares, Duke of San Lucar, Grand Private of the King, Don Philip the Great, our Sovereign, exclaimed Don Rodrigo, raising his glass private for the information of those who know it not was the title used in those days to signify the favourite of a prince long live the count replied all help the father said don rodrigo excuse me replied the father but i have already been guilty of a breach of discipline and i cannot what said don rodrigo it is a toast to the count duke Will you make us believe that you hold with the Navarines? Thus they contemptuously styled the French princes of Navarre, who had begun to reign over them in the time of Henry the Fourth. On such an adjuration he was obliged to taste the wine. All the guests broke out in exclamations and encomiums upon it, except the doctor, who by the gesture of his head the glance of his eyes and the compression of his lips expressed much more than he could have done by words what do you say of it eh doctor asked don rodrigo withdrawing from the wine-glass a nose more ruddy and bright than itself the doctor replied with marked emphasis on every syllable I say pronounce and affirm that this is the olivares of wine sensui et in iam ivi sententiam that its equal cannot be found in the twenty-two kingdoms of the king our sovereign whom god defend 
I declare and determine that the dinners of the most noble Signor Don Rodrigo excel the suppers of Helio Gabalus, and that famine is perpetually banished and excluded from this place, where splendor reigns and has its abode. Well said, well defined, cried the guests with one voice, but the word famine which he had uttered by chance at once directed the minds of all to this mournful subject, and every one spoke of the famine. In this matter they were all agreed, at least on the main point, but the uproar was greater, perhaps, than if there had been a diversity of opinion. All spoke at once. There is no famine, said one. It is the monopolists. And the bakers, said another, who hide the grain. Hang them, say I. Yes, yes, hang them without mercy. Upon fair trial, cried the Podesta. Trial? cried Count Attilio more loudly. Summary justice, I say. Take three or four or five or six of those who are acknowledged by the common voice to be the richest and most avaricious, and hang them. Examples, examples, without examples nothing can be done. Hang them hang them and grain will flow out in abundance whoever in passing through a fair has had the pleasure of hearing the harmony produced by a party of fiddlers when between one air and another each one tunes his instrument making it sound as loud as possible that he may the more distinctly hear it in the midst of and above the surrounding uproar may imagine what would be the harmony of these if one may so say, discourses. The party continued pouring out and drinking the wine, while the praises of it were mingled, as was but just, with sentences of economical jurisprudence, so that the loudest and most frequently heard words were nectar and hang them. Don Rodrigo, in the meanwhile, glanced from time to time towards the friar, and always saw him in the same station, giving no signs of impatience or hurry, without a movement tending to remind him that he was waiting his leisure, but with the air of one who was determined not to depart till he had a hearing. He would gladly have sent him away, and escaped the interview, but to dismiss a capuchin without having given him audience, was not according to the rules of his policy. However, since the annoying duty could not be avoided, he resolved to discharge it at once and free himself from the obligation. He therefore rose from the table, and with him all the excited party without ceasing their clamour. Having asked leave of his guests, he advanced in a haughty manner towards the friar, who had immediately risen with the rest, and saying to him, At your command, father, conducted him to another apartment. End of chapter 5, part 2